Welcome to Working for Women, the independent women's forum podcast, where we are changing the conversation about women and public policy for the better. Hello, I'm Charlotte Hayes, Director of Cultural Programs at the Independent Women's Forum. Today I'm here with Hadley Heath Manning, IWF's Director of Health Policy, and we're going to be discussing Hadley's recent article in the Wall Street Journal in which she argued in favor of block grants for Medicaid. Hadley, thank you for joining us today. Of course. Um, First off, Hadley, um, can you tell us a little bit about your article and some background on the Medicaid program? Sure. Well, I uh, have this article. It's uh, you can find it on the Wall Street Journal website. It's part of a sort of a symposium where they ask the question: Should Medicaid be converted to a block grant program? And I'm arguing the yes side. Uh, so Medicaid is a program that's been around since the 1960s. In 1965, it's part of a set of programs that we sometimes refer to as the Great Society. Medicare, of course, is uh, familiar to. Older Americans, usually after the age of 65, people enroll in Medicare, but Medicaid is a safety net program, and it was really intended to help uh, the sick and vulnerable poor uh, in the United States. And uh, in 1966, the first year that it was in operation, the, the program had a budget of $1 billion dollars. And $1 billion sounds like a lot of money, to to me anyway. Um, But in Washington, D.C. these days, that's not a lot of money. And we actually spent about um, $578 billion on Medicaid last year. So the program has completely ballooned, um, I believe, uh, stretching above and beyond its original mission. Uh, About 77 million Americans on average are enrolled in Medicaid from month to month. So uh, it's become a huge part of our health insurance system. It is a safety net program, um, but of course, states vary in their eligibility requirements. Um, Many states have enrolled in the expansion through the Affordable Care Act. But bottom line, uh, Medicaid is a costly government program that is funded um, both by the federal government and states. And uh, today it uh, works not only as a safety net, but really as a catch-all for many people who are eligible in their state um, as a government-provided health insurance plan. So, Hadley, what would it mean to change Medicaid to a block grant, um, and how would that be different from the status quo in Medicaid? But I, I just want to add something. For, for somebody like me who's a layman, sometimes when you talk about block grants, it sounds like, well, we're just shoving money around. I'll put it here instead of there. Where am I wrong, and, and how does money, putting money there with the states reform the system? Well, that's a great question, Charlotte. And I think what we run into often with this discussion is a lot of people don't really understand how Medicaid is funded today. So I mentioned that the federal and state governments um, both contribute to the funding of Medicaid. Um, But the way it works is that each state negotiates with the federal government for a matching rate. And the matching rate... um, For some states, it's $1. So if I spend $1, the federal government gives me $1 to spend on Medicaid. For some states, it's like $3. So if I spend $1, Uncle Sam's going to give me $3 to spend on Medicaid. And this structure of funding, the federal matching rate, um, really encourages states to spend more money on Medicaid because imagine if you can be paid to spend money you'd like to spend that money, especially when we consider the other priorities that state governments have, uh, like education, for example, K-12 through education, higher education. Uh, in many states, Medicaid 
has outpaced spending in those areas because states don't have the same incentives to spend money on education like they do Medicaid. So we've got a real perverse incentive going on in that states have no reason to um, be very careful with every Medicaid dollar they spend because spending more means they get more. And a block grant, uh, yeah, it sounds like we're just sloshing money into the federal government to slosh it back out to states. Um, but this would actually be a better structure because rather than an open-ended matching rate, uh, Uncle Sam would be telling the states, you have this amount of money from the federal government, spend it on your Medicaid program. Um, and, and really the idea behind block granting isn't just finance reform because Yes, I believe the finance reform side of it would encourage more accountability and more responsibility from states as they spend, but would also give states more freedom to decide, hey, this is who we're going to decide is eligible for the program. These people aren't going to be eligible. These are the benefits we're going to provide. They could experiment with um, different cost sharing or different um, arrangements between uh, private health insurance providers. They could give their Medicaid um, enrollees opportunities to control their own health dollars. And of course, when individuals control their own health dollars, they're usually much more careful. So it's really, you know, aside from changing the way Medicaid is financed, a block granting structure, the idea behind it is to allow states to really be in control of how the programs are implemented on the ground because of our fundamental belief that, you know, we are a federalist country. States should have control over healthcare as an issue. Healthcare doesn't come up in the U.S. Constitution. It's really the purview of states to administer healthcare and safety net programs because states know their populations better. States understand, you know, what Alabama needs may not be what California needs. And if I'm a citizen or a resident of one of these states and I'm on Medicaid or I'm a taxpayer and I care about the outcomes on uh, Medicaid, I can contact my state legislators and make my voice heard um, more clearly and more loudly at the state level uh, than I can contact my congressman or my U.S. senator. Um, and so there's a fundamental belief at work behind block granting that, yes, the money comes from Uncle Sam, um, but we want to put as few strings attached to it as possible. Well, Hadley, what are some of the arguments that people uh, who are against block grants make against block grants? Um, well, I encourage people to, to read the Wall Street Journal article because, as I mentioned, I make the yes argument in favor of block grants. And Edwin Park, who works for the Center for Budget and Policy Priorities, he argues the no point. And uh, really, his main points are that you know he believes and, and some other folks believe that if we block grant the Medicaid program to states, and a lot of this depends on how we do it, frankly, uh, the amount of money in the block grants would not be enough for states. And ultimately, they would have to cut eligibility or they'd have to cut benefits, cut payments to providers. Um, and they argue that Medicaid is, is very efficient the way that it's working today. And by changing it to a block grant, we would limit the flexibility of states to respond, for example, if there's a public health crisis, if we happen to have a downturn in our economy, like a recession, and tons of people uh, end up having to enroll in Medicaid because they're out of a job and they're going into poverty, and they say that block grants don't give states um, the same resources that they have access to uh, in the current uh, funding structure with the matching rate. So those are, if, if I'm being fair and if I'm summarizing the views of my opponents well, that's what I'd say are some of the arguments against block grants. But, you know, in response to that, if, if I may <laughs> make some arguments of my own, you know, the, the idea that, that we would argue against block grants, I mean, really, you have to argue in favor of the status quo. 
And I would counter that by saying the status quo in Medicaid isn't good. It's not just good from a budget perspective in terms of how much money states are spending or how much money the federal taxpayers are spending on the program. Um, but it's really not uh, doing best by people who are low income and who have to enroll in the Medicaid program. We're encouraging people to enroll in Medicaid, not just by offering them uh, this government-funded insurance plan, but Medicaid, in, in some ways, makes private health insurance more expensive um, because of some of the cost shifting that goes on um, between providers who are, who are getting shortchanged for Medicaid patients. And ultimately, Medicaid uh, may not provide the best health care access. In fact, there's a slew of academic studies that show when people are enrolled in Medicaid, they don't have the same access to health care providers. About one in three doctors say they don't accept new Medicaid patients. And it's worse when it comes to seeing specialists. Medicaid patients have worse outcomes in hospitals. They're more likely to die in surgery. They don't have as good of outcomes when it comes to dealing with cancers and diseases. So ultimately, I think if we want to do best by people who are in a government safety net, whether it's Medicaid or any other program, then we really have to target the dollars uh, to the people who need them most. And that means limiting our government safety nets so that they only play a limited role in our health insurance ecosystem um, rather than ballooning, becoming inefficient, and really deserving the people that they were intended to serve. Um, Obamacare, or the Affordable Care Act, expanded the Medicaid program. Um, Hadley, how does this ex expansion work, and what would Medicaid reform mean? Sure. Well, the, the Affordable Care Act's expansion is exactly what I was just talking about. It's throwing um, millions more people into the Medicaid program. Uh, in some cases, people who really, if we, if we had a healthier health insurance market, um, an individual market, for example, if we didn't have the regulations that were in the Affordable Care Act, many of the people who enrolled in the Medicaid expansion would be able to buy private health insurance plans, uh, even if they were very basic catastrophic insurance plans um, that ultimately could provide them with better protection and better access to the health care services they need, um, rather than forcing those people um, really to their last resort, which is joining Medicaid. So I don't like the Medicaid expansion because it does um, put many people um, who otherwise could be self-sufficient uh, into a government program. Um, and the federal government really encourages states to expand Medicaid um, because I mentioned that matching rate before. The matching rate is, is even more generous or even more liberal when it comes to the expansion. So the federal government uh, is funding 90% of the dollars that are spent by states in implementing this expansion. So it looks like a big honeypot, looks like a big pot of money for states who um, you know, might want to get more of their share of federal tax dollars um, by expanding Medicaid. So good for those states that decided you know, we're not going to expand Medicaid because they really wanted to focus their safety net on the most vulnerable, on the people who, you know, pregnant women, disabled, people who are very sick and very poor. Um, those people should really be the focus of Medicaid and, and any safety net rather than um, expanding the Medicaid program, uh, which puts a greater burden on, on, a, on a program which already was seeing a, a mismatch in supply and demand for actual health care services. Okay, this has been another edition of IWF's Working for Women podcast. Hadley, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a great discussion. Um, and for those of you who listen, thank you for tuning in. And you can find out more about this topic and many more at IWF.org. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please give it a thumbs up, share it on social media, or stop by IWF.org for similar content.